I'm Asam. It's Festive Friday. So this is the Festive Friday show. Um, We're going to look back at the week that was for City and preview tonight's Club World Cup final. I'm delighted to be joined by George for this. Afternoon, George. Good afternoon, Asan. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling festive, mate. How are you feeling? Likewise, mate. Off work. Um ready for uh ready for some good food, some drinks and uh and a mountain of stuff I've got to wrap as well, which I'm not quite looking forward to. But um aside from that, all groovy. What about you? Yeah, splendid. Yes, I mean look, all my wrapping's done. Um we've just been out this morning into town. We needed to go to the market to like order loads of like seafood and just order some food and blah 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 nice. stuff for um because we're going to somebody's house on the uh on the 24th so it's so uh, a lot of mainland europe that their kind of big meal is the night of the 24th rather than yeah. the 25th so we're going to a big sort of dinner thing well actually we'll be there all day on the 24th so we needed to go and get some bits for that. And yeah, no, all my presents are wrapped and under the tree. Um, everything is uh everything is set. It's uh it's um this these few days it's always I'm always thinking there's something I've not done. There's something I've not done. Something that I've not bought that my mum's told me to bring around to hers for Christmas Day and then I'm gonna rock up without it and yeah. then never hear the end of it. So I'm just uh going over everything. But I think I think I've got all my bases covered to be honest. So Excellent. yeah. And, City are in a cup final tonight as well. This near Christmas, it's a, it's mad. a rarity. It's very, it's very much a rarity, and it's it's quite mad. I mean, you know, we'll we'll get to we'll get to the club World Cup. I was like, should we do it now? But no, because there's something that happened yesterday that I wanted to start by asking you about. So, did you see the uh, European Court of Justice's ruling on the Super League? Yes, yes, it was pretty much yeah. All yesterday on Twitter was. Um, was was focused on that really wasn't it and then the um a bit of fallout after that from it and the the two sides well i say two sides everybody else versus real madrid and barca at the moment <laughs> um so it's slightly unbalanced but yeah it's um it's it's a mad one isn't it really it's um and then i watched the, the you know the super league's new that that video they posted yeah um like their new the the format and everything, and it was the most black mirrory football kind of thing you've ever seen. Mm. It was even even the narration was kind of like you. F- it made it gave me the feeling like I'd just been sedated whilst I'm listening to it. <laughs> so so strange and just slightly AI slash alien about it. It's it you know void of any kind of human um, feeling or anything like that. It was a it was a strange one, but um, I'm glad that City have reiterated their, their stance on it. Um, likewise with most clubs, but what, what do you make of it all? It, do, you re- do you think there's going to be a, another day of reckoning in the next few years to come with it now? Well, I think it's it's a non-runner because so many teams aren't aren't investing in it at mm. the moment. So I don't think that it'll. I don't think it'll happen in the way that they probably envisioned it when they first started dreaming it up. But and, and bear in mind, they've been dreaming this up for for more than a decade. This isn't something yeah. that they you know wrote on the back of a fag packet a year ago. Um, even though it does feel like they planned it in that way. Um, so 
I just I feel as though so I think one of the important things is to trace back the success where does the success in the Premier League comes from it comes from money but why does the Premier League have so much money why is the Premier League so competitive why is it ended up where it's ended up and a lot of it can just be traced back to the agreement at the advent of the Premier League for collective bargaining of TV rights so yeah. if you go all the way back and the funny thing is that so the Premier League did this back in the 90s right they agreed that what will happen is we'll sell the media rights and then we'll divide them more or less evenly amongst the clubs depending on where you finish um and even 10 years ago unless I'm mistaken Barcelona and Real Madrid were still selling their own TV rights yeah yeah and, yeah they were and and, and therefore like uh kind of stratifying their position within the leagues so i have i have almost zero sympathy for the idea of so you know you, you often hear this phrase the health of the european game and one of the things that our media because a lot of it is full of nobets and pseudo intellectuals <laughs> who really are literally what I'm saying. They're just pseudo intellectuals. They think that they're smart. They want other people to think they're smart, but I don't think they're that smart. Um, but one of the things that they'll often talk about is the health of the European game. And it's like, well, no, there isn't a European game. There's an English game and there's a Spanish game and there's an Italian game. And all of those leagues are run differently and they have their own set of rules. If the Premier League has run itself really well and ended up in a position of enormous financial dominance, I don't really think it matters one iota what La Liga are doing or what Serie A are doing or what League One is doing. That's not our that's not our business. We just no, need to we, we need to look after our own house in a way. And I think that so the Super League will be in my opinion, eventually, a competition to try and compete with the Premier League. The problem they're going to have is that the Premier League, the the pyramid, the English pyramid, the English football pyramid, and all the jeopardy that comes with it is what makes it so interesting. And a new pan-European league where 15 clubs get to play every single year and then they'll add three and fuck three off every every year is just not going to hold the same appeal. I don't think that the I don't think the solution for any of these leagues individually is to get together and go like, well, I know Benfica and Porto and Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, um, Juventus, Inter Milan, like the top, you know, the top six clubs in in Portugal, Italy, and Spain getting together and going, we'll have our own league, right? And we'll have 18 teams in it and we'll add, we'll give like two places to each in each league for clubs to come in and out, but we'll always be in that league. That's just never going to compete with the Premier League. No, no. And like you say, I think a lot of this stuff where people point to saying like, you know, the English game is 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 ruined it for the rest of Europe. And it's like, well, the English league, like you say, it's a private entity. It's, it's not like the UK and England's economy outside of football is is healthy at the moment and it, it's no different to the likes of France, 
Germany, Italy, all these countries who kind of look upon the UK, the UK football game negatively as if we've ruined it for everybody else. We've just, like you say, from the 90s, we've cultivated that product over here. And we also have that pyramid like you've spoken about. No, no other country has the support down the pyramids that you have in England and Scotland and, and, and Wales. It's just, you get, you get thousands of people each weekend going to see below the conference non-league mm. matches uh, you know down the road from me West Didsbury and Charlton and there's like there's like a few thousand there watching watching the games and you know they're, they're nowhere near the conference at the moment so th- that's what these other countries are trying to compete with and it's just that's something that's been set up over here for a century <laughs> and it's you can't just click your fingers and make a product that matches it no but I, I think it'll be interesting I, I think there will like say, there will be a merger of some leagues, and I think, you know, maybe the likes of the Eredivisie and the like, the Belgian leagues, and all this kind of like Holland and Belgium, and they've, they've been talked of maybe they'll merge into a league. And I think in the future there may be a bit more of that. Like you say, maybe Spain and Portugal at one point do merge, and all these kind of things. But once you get adding too many countries to these mergers, it it then becomes like you say, it'll be the same teams and. Every season you watch the same games and that's what a lot of these people organising football don't understand is the finite element of certain aspects of football is what makes it interesting. The Champions League, only a certain amount of teams get in there and if all you and at the start of the season, everybody knows to get in there, you have to finish in these certain places and then when you get in the Champions League, when you play against a team you've never played before, it's really exciting. You go, you go to the ground, you see their away fans and the players that you've never seen in the flesh before and similarly you know when they try and remodel the world cup and they want it every year it's like well the reason everybody loves the world cup and it's such a memorable thing is because we only have it once every four years it's finite and trying to make something trying to you know it's already fairly mass-produced modern football but trying to you know turn it into like the the amazon of the sporting industry it will only dull the product after a while and, and a lot of people won't have the same interest that they currently do now. Mm. How do you feel about... It's interesting. I had a conversation with Howard on a podcast uh, a week or two ago about sort of modern football, right? And how I my, my basic point was that I felt that a lot of the noise around people in England talking about, you know, the game's gone and all that business and I'm falling more and more out of love with football. I... I, I said to him that I felt that that was mainly uh, traditional big club supporters like Arsenal, Liverpool, United, because they just weren't winning as much as as they used to. And so therefore, they ate it. Like, if you look at, you know, I imagine Brighton supporters are having a whale of a time. I imagine Brentford supporters are having a whale of a time. I imagine Villa supporters are having a whale of a time. Hell, I imagine even Everton supporters right now, even with their 10-point deduction, are having a whale of a time. I think, you know, you look at look at a club like Palace that have flirted with relegation a lot, but then have some top players like Eze and, and Elise to look at. Like, I just, I, I, I find... I find the narrative around Premier League football too often is framed by either supporters of of the traditional big clubs or uh, media pseudo intellectuals who are trying to reflect the opinions 
of those tops, the supporters of those traditional top clubs who are unhappy because they're not winning a lot. Um, so wh- where, do you, where do you land in terms of the Premier League, the product, football? Like, are you, are you, Do you feel that there's too much football or too much conversation around football? Yeah, going to your point about um, you know people saying they've fallen out of love with the game, it is from 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 my personal experience and the people I know and speak to, it's it's ninety nine percent of them are supporters of the big the big clubs. I can't tell you how many United fans that I grew grew up with know well that at one point when I was you know, uh, you know early high school they would they would go to the games they were obsessed you know they were giving it the big in constantly, and then now you know. 15 years down the line, they said, oh, no, that, it's not for me, really. And a load of them have started to go see Stockport County or they've gone to see Rochdale or they've gone to FC United or um, Berry and all these kind of things. So I just find it quite funny. And, it's, and they say, oh, you know, they always say it's because of modern football. And in my head, I'm going, is it modern football or is it that you chose to support a club because they were successful and that's what you thought you were entitled to as a fan of that club and now as time has gone on and you know the scene has shifted massively out of favor for the for that club now they suddenly lack interest in it because they they don't associate supporting that club with anything other than success and when there's no success they it maybe maybe makes them feel strange and alienates them from it in a in a strange way and it was the same for a few Arsenal fans that I knew as well. The period um, after, um, towards the end of the Wenger era, and then with M, uh, when they had Unai Emery, the amount of Arsenal fans that I knew just who said, "Oh, I was like, are oh, you watching the game tonight?" And they just they wouldn't be they'd be out of favour. But now suddenly, um, they're back to winning ways, and the, all those people are now fully engaged again. Mm. So. I think in in this country especially, I think there's a lot of people who maybe supported supported those clubs that were successful around the the late eighties, nineties, early two thousands. Um, that 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 period, they thought that was football, and rather than looking at you know the history of a hundred years where loads of different clubs were the were the most successful team, you know, Notts County at one point, Wolves, and all this kind of stuff. But times change. There's different eras. Um, so that's the main thing I've noticed, and like you say, club fans of clubs lower down the league in the Championship, um, League One, League Two. Some of the crowds you see is amazing. Obviously, clubs where they've got a bit of turmoil and all that kind of stuff. There's there's usually um, you know the fan the 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 gates uh, receipts aren't that great, but for most clubs it's it's very healthily supported, and um, and they also don't really care about the Super League stuff, especially lower down the leagues. They think. Well, good riddance because it, it doesn't affect them as well yeah. in this country. They have an engaging product that they go to. That's their club. Um, they get to travel da- up and down the country if they if they so wish, and that's just part of their life. And I think the Super League for the, for those for those clubs is, I think some of them are thinking good riddance, but um, they want the clubs to, out of the Premier League. They want it maybe more balanced, which is a viewpoint I've read a lot about uh, recently as well. Yeah, I just find that weird though. I don't think you know growing up watching football. Uh, I've grown up through two different clubs dominating British football, Liverpool and then Man United. And I, and I think that in terms of the idea of competitive balance, it's never really existed. I think oh, no, it doesn't. 
that those clubs were always richer than everybody else. And so they had an advantage um, and they used that advantage and everybody just agreed that that was part and parcel of football. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things is that I, I always come back to this idea that like what they didn't like is that somebody turned up with deeper pockets. It's like that, that phrase, we can't compete. I hear that a lot. And yeah. basically what it's actually saying is somebody's richer than us and that's not fair because we should always be the richest. Exactly. Um, and, and if, and if, Say, say all those English clubs that signed up originally for the Super League. Say they, uh, say all those clubs did join the Super League. Did everybody think it's going to be all the other clubs are going to agree on some kind of more socialist, communist product for the for the for the football pyramid where everybody gets the same money and you're only allowed to spend? No, the, the new clubs would appear who would, would then be the richest, and then then they would take over, <clears throat> and they would start winning because they would have the most money, would be able to get the best players at that level and stuff. So. I don't think you you'll ever have pure balance, you know, economically and competitively in in football because there's always will be a superpower. That's just the na- the nature of the game, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I just I'm I'm a I'm a little bit I think a little bit the a lot of the conversation around. I think that the, the, that this Super League thing happening this week is probably good for the Premier League because I think it it sh- it should in the you know in the in the boardrooms and the offices of the league itself right it should remind them that the death the threat to their existence the, the existential threat to their existence is not inside the league it's outside the league and so they should be careful about how they handle what goes on inside the league the premier league i believe has a terrible habit of airing all of its dirty laundry publicly and it has a terrible habit of allowing itself to be influenced by individual stakeholders and i think that that's where if you look at the weight of what's happened to city post football leaks right and even before that a lot of that is just pressure from other premier league clubs which is fine. You, everybody, everybody is craving, and everybody is greedy, and everybody is trying to get an advantage on their competitors. But that makes it the job of the league to make sure that at some point diplomacy prevails, and everybody understands we have the best product, sporting product in the world. We have the best league in the world. We have the most lucrative league in the world. We have the best coaches in the world. We have the best players in the world. We need to ensure that we are at every step of the way protecting that and not to get on my soapbox, but I think too much, uh, too often supporters are treated like idiots insofar as conversations are framed around the good of the game. Nobody convinces me that taking 10 points off Everton and potentially relegating them because they spent 30 million more than they should have spent is good for the Premier League. And if the Premier League wants to suddenly try and create some kind of uh, financial democracy, they are truly tripping. 
They are truly, truly tripping. What they need to do is embrace what they are. And what they are is a financially competitive, capitalist, sporting league and product that is by some distance the best in the world. And all they need to focus on is making sure that it continues to be the best in the world, getting themselves bogged down in the, in what's got in, in my opinion, what's gone on with city is a little bit, a sort of, um, it's almost like a mistake that they won't realize how big a mistake it is until everything plays out because already like what you do is you give ammunition to La Liga and you give ammunition to, to Juan Laporta and fellas like that, because these guys, they ate clubs like city because city came along and took their success. So of course they're going to slag city off the same inside the league. Of course, United, Liverpool, Arsenal aren't going to be happy with city's success because it comes at their fucking expense. But that's why the, that's why the league should be very careful about what it does next because it's, it the threat it faces is external. It's not internal. Yeah, um, I um I I agree. I think you know the clubs have have now rejected the, the Super League or the big clubs at, at present. So they've they've seen sense. And also, for me, the biggest threat to the English football pyramid and the Premier League is um, American ownership getting the majority voting powers um, of fourteen. If, if if the Premier League had fourteen American owners, they would then be able to dictate the the votes um, to push it to be more of a model like an NFL or an NBA, where there's salary caps, there's this, and at the end of the season they get paid big money TV rights that the American owners would then just take out and put into their personal wealth, and that's all that that they're bothered about. And for me, that is the that's the thing I'm worried about more than the Super Leagues. I think the Super Leagues are non-runner in, in, in England, and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I actually, I think that, I, I think the Americans are a little bit losing, uh, losing their appetite to be involved in the English game. Or certainly, certainly the kind of, I think that there's two different kinds of, of, I mean, look, ownerships are all different, but I think that the Cronkies at the start, um, John Henry still, and the Glazers still, I think that what these fellas did is they bought institutions, right, that they assumed would remain the preeminent institutions. They didn't fully understand how competitive the league was. And so what happens is as Abramovich came in and suddenly more and more money is coming into the league and you have more and more success from outside the traditional top six, I think that's when those those owners started going, hang on, we need FFP. And then FFP didn't fully work, so they were like, I know, we need a Super League because then we all we all get to share the money. And that's not worth. So I think I think that's why John Henry eventually is going to sell. The Glazers are going to end up selling. I think, you know, the, the, I don't know what the model at Chelsea is, but it's very, it's very unique in that they just seem to like to spend money. Anyway, look, we could, we could do this to death, but it's definitely, it was definitely an interesting chat that. Um, I want to push this forward because I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a captain and Kyle Walker's comments on on yeah on the criticism that he's faced and on City not being at the level of Ferguson's United yet because of the amount of trophies that they've won. So to sort of begin with, I I, I think I was pretty clear yesterday that uh, on on Twitter that 
I didn't really like Walker's interview. I didn't like any of his, I didn't like any of the quotes that got pulled. And I've seen them in context and, and it doesn't make them any better for me. I don't think a captain, I don't think he spoke like a captain. Um, am I being harsh on him by saying that? No, I don't think so. I think it was, I think it was very misjudged, his interview. Um, I think a lot of that came across as maybe a bit insecure on his part. Um, maybe he is feeling the weight of wearing the captain's armband and being now, you know, we've lost a few senior pros obviously in the last few years. And now he very much is in a small group of the, the, the senior, senior players. Um, maybe the weight of that, um, is, is a lot to carry. So maybe it's frustration coming out, but. You know, he's he's 33 now and when he's coming out and saying that, oh, I'm getting criticised and I've got my mum and dad are seeing it, it comes across as maybe somebody a lot younger mm. who's um, not used to the way the world works and the way that football works. This this is a guy who's, this is a guy who's, you know, won five Premier League titles. He's won the Champions League, you know, the treble, um, countless trophies and played for, you know, well over 50 caps for England and, you know, the criticism at this point, if you've not learned by 33 that there's going to be a lot of noise in football, then I, I, I don't know what to tell somebody. I, I think as a as a senior pro and a captain, you have to block it out. You have to have faith in your ability and your team's ability. And to to be speaking about criticism and heat and trying to have coming out and trying to defend the the defense and stuff, I, I get it to a point, but. I just think it's all misjudged and it does it doesn't speak like somebody who's got his experience and his age to me at the mm. moment. I think I, 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 so somebody set me straight yesterday that Walker I for some reason I I thought Walker was the club ta- captain but he isn't Kev's the, the club captain so I presume that that when he comes back he'll be uh, he'll be he'll be taking that armband but so somebody asked me a question on Twitter that actually I want to throw at you cuz I, I thought it was a really good way of framing it. If you just bear with me for one second, it is right here. So Bailey Wynn says, do we need to readjust our stereotype of what a captain is? Our successful ones of late, Gondo, Ferner, David Silva, even Vinny, uh, they're, they're not like the traditional beat-in-your-chest, you know, all-action captain. They're all more subtle, more smart in that sense. So do we need to readjust our idea of, of what makes a good captain? I th- yeah, I think that obviously football has evolved from what it was when, you know, maybe, you know, we were all growing up and there was very much a thing of, at that point, if you're the captain, you have got to be that, you know, that that um, that one barking at everybody, you know, being very physical, putting yourself on the line, putting yourself out there, getting involved in every aspect of the play and um you know with all the refereeing stuff and all that the media in the in the professional game as well so i think football's changed and it's a different game now not as physical and as, and certain things are more valued now than they once were but i think a lot of those players that we've had, that you just listed then as our captains you know i think what served them well was was you didn't hear anything from them really outside of their media duties mm. post game and and they wouldn't they'd just speak about the performance of the team they would never they would never speak about themselves really they would never speak about individuals on the team 
and you got the impression they wanted to keep everything as in-house as possible um, and they all commanded a lot of respect um, from inside the dressing room and especially, you know, I think Gundo, you know, he's a very, very shy guy when he's interviewed um, by the media but in the dressing rooms, you see the clips, he's very fiery and as Fernandinho, again, he's very, you know, maybe softer spoken when he's doing his media and stuff but inside the, the in the dressing room, he still does have that fire as well. Um so I think we maybe have to readjust our view some point because the game has evolved. But I think there's certain qualities that everybody just wants to see because being a captain is essentially it's you know it's just you just nominated as the leader of of that team on that on the pitch. And if you're the club captain, you're the leader of the club off the pitch as well. So I think leadership qualities don't change that much, do they? So I think you need to see, we need to maybe see a hybrid of old and new. As a as a captain for City in the in the you know in the year twenty twenty three, yeah yeah absolutely. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I'm just I, I find I find Walker's comments to be staggeringly naive, and that's like the polite way of me saying it. I, I think that <laughs> I think for a fella who individual, he, he he made a comment about oh you know I've seen the criticism and but football's a team sport. It's like yes, yeah, a team sport, but it's a team sport in which there's individual responsibility as well as collective responsibility. And if individually your performances have fallen below par, which they clearly have, for you to then turn around and go oh well it's a team sport and 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 the the criticism it hurts my feelings. It's like mate. Sort yourself out. Do you know what I mean? You just signed a new two-year contract, probably at like 250 grand a week. You're one of the captains of the club. If you're making errors that are costing us points, you've I just I think that the the way I look at it, I can't imagine a world in which Fernandinho, Gundo, Vinny, David Silva, any of those guys allow their standards to drop. But then if they were a drop, for them to not take responsibility for their standards dropping. What you want to hear from Kyle is, I know I've not been good enough in the last month and I know that I need to raise my game personally. And if I raise my game, then it will also set an example for the rest of the lads around me about how we can't rest on our laurels. It's not a moment to feel sorry for yourself. At the end of the season, after you do a clean sweep of all the trophies, you're welcome to go and do an interview and go, you know what? I didn't really appreciate being criticized in in November. I was going through a hard time in my personal life, for example, and, and I felt that there was a lot of criticism or conversation around me. But in the middle of the season, at the moment, like this i just find it yeah it's very yeah it's, it's it is bizarre and like i said it's like you said it's naive and how, how i mentioned earlier about his age you know he's been around football for so long that surely you know there's there's a lot of thick there's a very fickle nature to a lot of what is being put out there so i think if you take that to heart it's never going to serve you well and no. He doesn't mention as well at the start of the season, the first few games when he was actually playing really well and everyone's like, wow, Walker looks younger. He looks like a man possessed and uh, he started the season on great footing and you know, there's no mention of that the praise that he got at the start of the season from everybody. It's always, I think athletes always love to feed, they love the fact that they play at such a high level and get criticism because then it allows them to bounce back and then they can go, ha, I told you so. But what Walker's done here with the comments is he's trying to do the ha 
I've told you so before he's actually done mm. before he's made amends <laughs> for for the way he's been playing. So yeah. it's a it's a strange time to do it. It's uh, like you say, end of the season if he's played out of his socks and we've won a few trophies, he can go. You know what? I've, I'm I'm a I've been a professional footballer for 15 years. I I don't I don't care for these people who are criticizing me without really knowing my circumstance. And yeah, but it's just it's just ill-timed and just misjudged I think is, is the main takeaways I have from it anything malicious in the United comments I just I think he's a city player I know I, he's a I city think, player he's a city he's the captain right now I think I think that was the first one I saw where my eyes just widened I was like what are you doing it's just I know footballers have a very different relationship to football than fans mm. understandable as they they never really are fans in the same way because they're not allowed to be because by the time they're seven or eight they're playing for a club which may not be where they're from or who they support but after so long in that um you know environment academy they then can't go against that club even if it's they supported their rivals growing up and stuff so their relationship with fandom is very different but you should have the the wherewithal to know that I'm the captain of Manchester City and right now and Manchester City fans hate <laughs> on the whole Manchester United and so any time that you're trying to build United up especially after a decade of us slamming them back down it's just it's just wildly inappropriate it's just not needed but no. I think he's just Ferguson was manager for, Ferguson was manager for 25 years yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just you can't you, you can't make that comparison. I think the only only no. thing you can do is go like over ten years. Have we won an appropriate amount of Premier Leagues and trophies? And we have. So exactly, no, nobody's going to do what Fergie did of twenty five years ever again. Really, no. I, I can't see anyone who will be allowed to have the role of that he did as you know so involved at board level and management. It's a, it's a, he that role doesn't really exist anymore. And and yeah, it just won't be repeated. So comparisons are just a bit silly at this point. And like you say, if you if you're taking it, if you compare the tw- the twenty five years, if you adjust that to just be ten and ten, I think City over the last ten years have done pr- just as well as United. So in the twenty five year period, adjusted for time. So yeah, it's I just one of those. I just and yeah, we've done it in a more- I saw it. We've done it in a more competitive league. That's my opinion. I just think the the yeah. amount of money in the league and the amount of competition in the league is far more intense than it was when when they did it. And let's be honest, as soon as Abramovich t- Abramovich and Mourinho turned up and Ferguson shit his pants and legged it, do you know what I mean? It's not like <laughs> uh, you know the fella's still at Old Trafford every week, so he, uh, yeah, he's, he, he he's, definitely he's, hang- he's at he's at Old Trafford in the stands like Darth Sidious just looking down. It's like <laughs> honestly, I don't. I don't get how nobody United has put the pieces together going, I don't think it's a positive environment to have Definitely this not. massive legend of the club just looking down grumpily at whatever new messiah, quote-unquote, has uh, been put into the managerial seat at United. It's just a uh, yeah, funny old club, but hey, it's, it's a good time for us. So I'll uh, the Walker comments, I won't let, take them too much to heart because I know at the end of the day, we're so much better than United right now. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, that brings me neatly round to the uh, to the Club World Cup. Um, before we talk about Tuesday and tonight, is it is it a trophy for you? Is it a real trophy? Is it one that, you know? Oh, it's, 
it's an interesting one. I, I think I want to win this more than, than I want to win in the Charity Shield. Okay. Um, and it won't mean as much to me as a, a Premier League and Champions League, obviously, or an FA Cup or League Cup. But out, outside of that, I think I prefer winning this. I think I prefer winning this to the UEFA Super Cup uh, as well. So I just think, how often do you get to play one of the South American teams mm. in a proper competitive game that, you know, and that they, that Fluminese will be very up for. And I just think it's really cool. Um, I'd, obviously, it's, if we lose, I'm, I'd just be more kind of, that if we lose and don't win the trophy, there'll be bigger questions than are missing out on the trophy. There'll be a lot of questions about the squad and mindset and all that kind of stuff. But if we win, you know, I'll, I'll be very happy and uh, another one to add to the collection and, uh, and we get that cool gold badge on the shirts for the rest of the season, don't we? So um, apparently yeah, not on the, apparently not on the Premier League shirts because you're not allowed to uh, to alter a Premier League shirt once the season has kicked off. Oh really? Yeah. It's um, so so just will we be allowed it in the Champions League and the FA Cup or not the FA Cup as well? No idea. Mm. No idea. Yeah, well, so I think it is. What about you? What 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 do you make of it? I mean, I, I was pretty dismissive a week ago. I can't be honest. I was a bit like just warm weather, a little bit of warm weather training for the uh, yeah. for the players before the second half before the second half of the Premier League. But look, I, I do think I, to to go back to the point you made about having the opportunity to play uh, Fluminese uh, to play a top top South American team. I think that's uh, I think that makes it really cool, and I think that. You know, I understand completely the idea of completing the circle. I think it's one of those where, like, I don't think it holds, like, it's obviously not going to hold the value of the Champions League or the Premier League. But I, I'm, I've, I've, I've taught myself into the idea that it probably sits somewhere around the Carabao. Yeah, nice. So, so in that sense, you know, I've definitely changed my tune a little bit in the last week. So that's fine. <laughs> I think. I think it's hard when when you've got like obviously the game on Tuesday when you when we playing Red Diamonds and stuff. It's like, it doesn't it didn't feel that sexy or exciting. Then it definitely felt very preseason vibes. Um, but then as as we've approached today, like say the build has been quite nice, and you know because it's Fluminese and you know Brazilian clubs, you know South America. Nobody can you can't understate their their passion for the game and how much their fans will be up for this and how much they will want to win at Fluminese. They won't they won't give us an inch. Mm. So I think we have to be prepared. It's going to be a proper game. Definitely. So I've got a question for you. David Spears um, asked it on Twitter, which is like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the ter- Telegraph article um, that Sam Wallace wrote where the headline is, to win the Club World Cup, Man City only need to be a lineup more suited to Soccer Aid. Um, and basically what he's asking is um, what your thoughts are on that article and the kind of disrespect that's been flung, particularly from the Telegraph at Fluminese and the Brazilian league. Does that, does it bother you? It does bother me because I think it's just utter arrogance and to say, you know, comments like squad befitting soccer aid. Well, outside of Marcelo, who is a real global superstar in the Fluminese team? Not n- nobody else. They're all just you know pr- they're professional footballers, all either at the start or end or maybe middle of the career. And um, it's so dismissive to the Brazilian league, you know, that 
players like Marcelo, even himself, at, you know, whatever. How old is he now, Marcelo? He'd probably be 35. Yeah, 35. Um, and this is a guy who's won, I don't even know how many Champions Leagues he's won. Do you think he'll be coming approaching a match against City going, oh, yeah, I'm going to just take an easy stroll around? Um, they've got some great young players like um, Andre, you know, who's linked with City amongst um, other clubs. Um, they also have Ganzo, who, you know, is a very, very talented player who at one point was a very football manager superstar. He was well, a legend so of fo- football manager. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a nice affinity to him. So it'd be, it'd be good to see him play against City. Uh, and then we got forwards, you know, John Kennedy, John Arias, who've scored a lot of goals. John Kennedy's young player who's quite highly rated as well. So they're, they're going to be so up for it. And they're not going to... To speak about the Brazilian and Argentinian teams like that is just so dismissive. Outside of the, the major European leagues, they are probably the most competitive leagues with the most talent in them. Um, they don't. They take it probably even more seriously than most places in Europe. You just have to look to what happened around Santos and Sao Paulo um, when Santos were relegated a week ago. To how Brazilians approach football, there was, there was a burning buildings down. It's um, it's so dismissive, and I also think it's partly a very a very twisted thing a lot of journalists do towards City at the moment. Is it's a great setup mm. for us if we fall. I saw it in the build-up to um, to the in, in during the few weeks over the treble. Um, everybody's like, "Well, oh, they've got the FA Cup against uh, United, a derby. Anything can happen." And then, as soon as we dispatch with United after 13 seconds, thanks to Gundo, um, then the narrative suddenly became, "Oh, it's Inter Milan. They're, they're, this isn't the Inter Milan of of the Mourinho era. There's no, you know, there's no Schneider. There's no Eto. There's no this and it and, and playing down Inter Milan as if." They were some, you know, Sunday league team from the outskirts of Milan as if they weren't one of the giants of European football. And we saw in the final how talented they are. And we've, we're seeing it this season. They're topping the league and they're uh, progressing to the last 16 in the Champions League. So they just, these articles, I feel, in part, are a setup. If this City do lose, they'll be going, well, what does this say about City losing to a team so bad? It, it, that's that's kind of this narrative when in actual fact the team aren't bad they're a good side they've won the Copa Libertadores, so they're no mugs at all absolutely and I just think you know I mean the truth is when Liverpool played in it a few years back like the headlines were just completely different I think you know I, I, I always come back to this idea that for me, people who listen to this regularly will go, Asan, you're always chatting about how much you don't like the football media in England. And I think, I think I'm fully entitled to, to have very little respect for them because I just don't think that they're particularly objective or respectful themselves when it comes to City. Um, and, and as you say, this is a great example of, of it. It's like a great way to diminish an achievement is to say that, well, there is no opposition. It's like a charity match. It's just that's, it's like the more you read that headline, the more you're just like, that's outrageous, man. You can't, just can't talk about, you can't talk about the Club World Cup like that. And you can't talk about, you know, the Brazilian champions like that. Brazil, yeah, it's just... It's it's mad. But it, from the Telegraph that maybe Wallace trying to sneak these articles in before Shake Man saw <laughs> and uh, makes him redundant. Right. So it's the final tonight. Um I mean, how do you, how would you like 
So Haaland, De Bruyne, and Doku aren't available. And the reason they're not available actually is because if you're not uh, available for the first game, you can't play in the second game. Or if you don't play in the first game, you can't play in the second game, or something like that. Or if you're not in the if squad, if you're not like listed in the yeah. in the amongst the subs, yeah, yeah, then you then you can't play in the uh, in the second game. So what? Bearing in mind that we've got Everton next Wednesday, right? So yeah. do you think that gives us enough time to play the strongest available team? And do you think Guardiola will play the strongest available team? I think it does give us time. Yeah, I think. After this, obviously, whatever happens, they'll they'll travel back to the UK, maybe have a day's rest, uh, and then be back in training for a couple of days before we go away. And at least with the Everton away match, there's no real big travel involved. It's just an hour down the road, which will be a factor as well. It's not like they have to land in Manchester, go down to the south coast or something like that. Um, and we also are kicking off late, quite late on Wednesday, aren't we, against Everton, quarter past eight, I think, or something like that. So I think he'll go. I think he'll go. You know, maybe not a hundred percent strength because we're missing a few players, but you know, ninety ninety five percent of the way, I think he'll um, he'll pick the best available players he has to him, and also the players he think will be able to win the match for him. Mm. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think it's interesting because so Man City Brazil is doing the review tomorrow with Lloyd and and uh, Howard and having nice. a little chat with him about. Uh, because the the manager of Fluminense is uh, is very highly regarded, and he's kind of considered to be like the anti Pep, right? Because he believes yeah. so Pep's like a positional play kind of guy, and 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 the Fluminense coach, it, his style of play is almost considered a positional in that he gives players a lot of freedom. Um, and Man City Brazil was saying to me that actually against this current incarnation of this city side in the form that they're in, they'll give us a proper game that he's like, you know, if City were at their very, very best, so the City of the final third of last season, he's like 99% City win it. But he's like, it's a lot closer than that with the form that City are in right now. And it'd be, you know, it would be very silly to get all the way to the final there, to go all the way there and then just lose it. And then be like, oh, we're going to have to win the Champions League again to get another crack at this, <laughs> um, which is funny. Hey, um, unless I'm mistaken, Rico Lewis didn't get on the pitch on uh, on Tuesday. Um, no, he didn't, no. Are you surprised by that? And do you expect him to play some part in the game tonight? Oh, I beforehand i wasn't sure you know if if he would feature in the in the the team for the final but then after being kind of omitted for the semi final staying on the bench the whole game it does tend to point that he will start for me um i'm not sure when i look at the team when i look at the defense and the midfield though for the semi final i just don't know where he comes in um you've got obviously walker akanji ake stones started the semi-final with a midfield of well on paper it looked like Rodri, Kovacic, Nunes but then that Nunes and Foden, Bernardo and everybody was moving all over the show mm. so I think I don't know where do you, it's only really Walker that he might come in for if Stones played as a traditional centre-back and then Rico inverted um, I can't see him you know dropping a kanji or Ake, or I'm not, yeah, I, I don't, I can't see where he 
where he would come into really if he plays a similar defence, but maybe he doesn't play a similar defence and he plays Gvardiol uh, and Diaz um, instead of Ake and the Kanji. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do wonder whether there is a little bit of rotation from from Tuesday, but it's the sort of weird game because it's not a Premier League game. I don't really like. I there's not a lot of options. He's obviously going to take it seriously enough that he's not just going to throw a bunch of kids in. Um, I wonder whether midweek Tuesday was a little bit of an audition for Nunes and Kovacic, and one of the two of them will play with Rico Lewis. Um, Yeah. I think that might be one way that he that he that he that he deals with it. I think it's guaranteed that that Captain Kyle Walker will play because he did the press conference. Um, yeah, and so and also he's played ev- every game this season yeah, as well. Exactly. So it doesn't look like he'll stop anytime soon. So I, I think that Walker will play. Um, I think Diaz will come back in. So maybe Diaz and Stones again. Like they need to figure out what they're doing with Stones' fitness as well. It feels like he's he's been back in full training for ages now, but he's not really played a lot of football. So at some point you're gonna have to, you know, bite the bullet and play him. And if you want him at Everton, do you play him tonight or do you rest him and then he plays at Everton but then he's looked a little bit rusty when he's played, so he needs minutes to get better. So I don't know. I don't have a I don't have like a, a, a an easy an easy solution for how to how to pick that back four, particularly because it feels like Kyle Walker's just nailed on, which makes it trickier because there's just less spots. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess we'll just I guess we'll just have to wait and see. the 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 forward line kind of picks itself, obviously, with Harlan, Doku, and KDB all being out. Well, you know, you've only got Phil Alvarez and and Grealish really, unless you want to play Oscar Bob, which. Again, I just can't see him starting with Bob. Um, no, yeah, I, th- I think that will be the forward line. Uh, whether it's Bernardo or Foden playing right or centre mid, maybe they'll do a bit of that switching that they've done a lot of the last few games. But yeah, I think it, it'll be Alvarez, Grealish, Foden starting, and then yeah, I don't. May, I, yeah, maybe you'll go with Nunes and Kovacic both again. They both played very well, but obviously very different oppositions who will be playing today. And maybe he'll want to be slightly more have a have a Rico or somebody or mm. Stones in the midfield just to you know just to be slightly more defensive minded um, against a you know a better opposition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll just have to. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, my friend. But we've not got that long to wait now. I guess most people by the time they'll be listening to this, it'll, uh, the game will already have been and gone. Um, yeah, right. Last thing I want to chat about very quickly is the title race um, and the top six. And just, you know, what's your mood like? I guess that's all I want to know. Like, the, obviously, the Palace result felt like a massive kick in the teeth, but are you over it? Do you feel like, who are the favourites to win the league for you? Yeah, the, the Palace one was a sucker punch. I think any time you concede a penner in, in the... Uh, in the last minute and it's an equaliser it feels so much worse than say conceding a wonder goal or something it's just as soon as it's given that minute's weight you've got to have and you're not expecting it to be saved and you just stood I just stood, stood there at my seat in the ground just stood up waiting for it to just go in and then just bowed my head it's just it was a frustrating one but I think I watched it again yesterday actually the the kind of half hour highlight package and 
we weren't so bad for 60 minutes. That's the thing. We weren't, we just, the last half an hour, when, as soon as we got the lead, we'd do this thing where we want to sit on the lead and we don't really want to apply so much pressure anymore. And I think if you do that, that's fine, but you've got to still keep your intensity levels at 100% because if you're just passing the ball around and you just want to keep the ball and, and not really probe the opposition, against a side like Palace, you've got stuff to fight for and a lot of young, hungry players, they will still be up for it. So as soon as our levels dropped off and we weren't sharp and intense, when you're trying to hold a lead and you're not trying to score another goal, as soon as they score one, then it's panic stations because you mm. you know it's only one goal, then it's equalising and then the inevitable happened and they did equalise. In some of these games against Palace, when we score the second, when we've got them on the ropes, rather than sitting on the lead, I just want to see us maybe go for another one. I'd rather go- concede whilst we're going for another one than concede trying to hold a game. Mm. It's it's much more frustrating in that sense. So, so that's my kind of only irk with the way that we've been playing recently. Well, not my only irk, I've got a couple, but that's my main one really, this trying to hold on to something when we could actually, we could, you know, KO the opposition with one more goal. Um, but looking at the table, we still have such a reason to be optimistic because we should probably be dead and buried right now yeah. if we were up against a team as good as us from the last few years or as good as Liverpool in 1920 or or 21-22. We, we would be gone. But there is no team like that this year who's at that level currently. We, a team could get to that level maybe in the second half of the season. But at present, there's no one who is outrageously better than anybody else and, and looks invincible for me. And that's why, even though we're in fourth spot right now, I'm still feeling very optimistic because, you know, we're, we're five pound, we're five points off Arsenal and four off Liverpool and they play each other tomorrow. So somebody's dropping points there. Hopefully yeah. it's a draw because that'll be the best result for us. But some, one of those... Ah, you took my last points. question. That was going to be my <laughs> last question to you, but go on. Sorry, finish. But but yeah, one, one or both of them are dropping points tomorrow. So that's perfect for us. Um, so yeah, I'm still optimistic right now. I think there's a lot of stuff we need to work on. There's a lot of stuff we need to adjust. And I think that will come, especially when we get the likes of Haaland, Doku, and then the best player in the league, Kevin De Bruyne, back. So I'm feeling optimistic at present. Um, where do you stand on it all? Yeah, I think we're still favourites to win the league. I just, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that the the others have done enough to to make me feel like I, I think the only thing that stops winning City from winning the league is City, if that makes sense. I, yeah, yeah. I think I if agree. we we play to our level once we come back from the Club World Cup, um I, I think that we'll uh, we'll we'll end up winning the league. Yeah, I mean I just I, I'm I'm optimistic more than anything because I don't think Liverpool are that good. Um I think Arsenal have the potential I think the game tomorrow will tell me how worried about Arsenal I should be or I need to be. The bottom line is, if Arsenal are serious about winning this title, they need to go to Anfield and win. If they go to Anfield yeah. and they and they get beat or that game finishes, even if it finishes a draw, I just think in terms of, so what's that five points? So that basically will mean that a draw means that they're currently, what, five points ahead of us and they will have played one game more and they will be six points ahead of us. So effectively, if we win that game in hand, their their lead gets cut to three points. I'm sorry, but a three-point handicap with Pep Guardiola as your manager, I expect to win the league 
at a canter, even yeah. if we've got a few issues. And they've still got to come to us as well. So if you if City are within touching distance of you and you've exactly. got to come to the Etihad in the or we've or even if we've got to go there, you know, you don't want to have a game against a team three no. points behind you. No. I mean obviously we do we do still have to go to Anfield. Um and we've got to go to Spurs' ground as well. Um but I don't really I, I almost feel as though there's another there's another level or two that this city team are going to go up to, and I, I'm kind of hanging my hat on the idea that that sort of that mentality that we showed post the Happy Flowers interview um, last season that we'll show that mentality sooner. So basically, when we get back, they'll show that mentality, yeah. and if they do, then City win this league. That's my take, anyway. Right, George. I think uh I think we've neatly uh danced around all the houses that we needed to uh to dance around. Do you think last word, do you think City are gonna win the Club World Cup tonight against Fluminese? Yes, you gotta be confident. Yeah. I've, I respect them and for who they are. And I think like I said earlier, it's it, they aren't gonna give us an inch. I think it'll be a very tight, close game. I don't think it'll be a goal fest. But I'd like to think with the players we've got and the manager we've got and the experience we've got, I f- would like to think that we will get it over the line. In normal time as well, hopefully. Absolutely. Same. Um, and you're going to be on Andre Watch? I am, you know. It's um, it's nice to have that kind of element to it as well. Definitely. When there's somebody who's been talked up a lot, just to, you know, see how he fares against, you know, a, a top midfield so and a top team. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be keeping one eye on him. And then, like I said earlier, one eye on my uh, my football manager hero, Ganzo, uh, Ganzo as well. <laughs> I like it. Right, George, thank you very much. Cheers, Asan. Have a great Christmas, mate. You too. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. Um, Merry Christmas from me. The lads will obviously be back tomorrow to do the review. Uh, Thank you all for spending the year listening to the 9320 podcast. Um, It's been another incredible year for us, to be honest, in terms of the listenership and just even the number of podcasts that, that we've done just for 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 the sake of uh for the sake of curiosity howard sent me earlier how many podcasts we've put out this year and i'm going to tell you now if i can just fact i want to get the exact number where is it gone right sorry this is not very good uh this is not very good podcasting asan this is not how you uh <laughs> 258 podcasts we've put out in 2023 so far and we're wow. not even done and we are not even done so yeah thank you to all the listeners have a very merry christmas and as always up the blues